Pastor Scott and lead pastor of the river. And really glad that you're checking out our uh, online podcast and our services and hope that you are blessed by this. Certainly, if you have any questions, if you're wondering about stuff that goes on here or maybe you're checking out our website more and seeing things that you uh, are wondering whether or not you might want to participate in them, feel free. Contact us in the office. Give us a call. Send us an email. Um, we'd love to hear from you. love to answer any questions that you have. Uh, we hope that you are blessed by what you hear on, on this podcast. We hope that God's Word continues to have power in your life. And we pray that uh, God makes himself known, that you know how much he truly, truly, truly loves you. Thanks for checking us out and uh, enjoy the service. This morning, we are going to jump back into our Romans series in Romans chapter 14. We're going to, um, for the next five weeks, be finishing up the book of Romans, and we will finish it in the month of August. Uh, And if you remember, we started this all the way back in September of last year. So God be praised. It worked out well. And uh, this week, we're doing all of chapter 14. Over the next three weeks, we'll do all of chapter 15. And then the last week, um, right at the end of the month, we are going to cover chapter 16. So... um, you can be prepared for that. And in the month of September, we begin our discipleship series, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And in order for us to learn about that, we're going to be spending significant time in the gospel of Luke. So if you want to even get our head, I know there's a group that you can become uh, uh, a, uh, a member of this reading group. I think it's called, what is it called? Thomas, an elder, a deacon, and a fool. And I think that comes from Thomas, who's an elder, Mark Leonard, who is a deacon, and Nick Intout. But Nick gave himself that name. No one else did, so uh, he took it on. So if you want to get ahead in some reading and learn more about what it is that we're going to be studying in Luke and what it means to be a disciple, you can uh, check up on our uh, River Facebook page and we certainly will get you connected to the right place. If you need help with that, please contact the office. We would love to get you connected with reading scripture more. This morning, chapter 14 of the book of Romans, and as we gather around God's word, let's pray for his blessing on our time. God, you are good. In your word, you remind us of the power that you have to transform us. And you call us to live into that transformation in the relationships that we have. You call us to live into relationships of peace, relationships that mirror how you see us, a relationship of love and acceptance. We pray that we can learn more of that this morning, that we can be encouraged and challenged by that today. That truly, Lord, we might come away from uh, uh, this invitation to engage in your word, empowered to live a life that is uh, more glorifying to you, that reflects more of your glory to the world around us. We pray these things all in the name of Jesus Christ and God's people said together, Amen. amen. Romans chapter 14, except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another, whose faith is weak, eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. 
Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them to stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord for the give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone. And none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean for that purpose, for that person, it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves, but whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat. Because their eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Two men, they're cousins. One lives in rural Minnesota. The other lives in Portland, Oregon. Both men, Bob in Minnesota and Spencer in Oregon, are followers and disciples of Jesus Christ. They both wake up in the morning, spend time in God's word, 
They spend time in prayer. They are regularly and very active in their church, involved in what's going on, involved in leading various groups. Bob has been a deacon twice, and Spencer is presently an elder in his church. They are seeking every day to do God's will. They love Jesus, and they want to see others love him too. And Bob and Spencer get together every couple of years or so for one of those wonderful things called family reunions. I say wonderful sometimes tongue-in-cheek, but wonderful thing called family reunion. They get together, and this, uh, this, this time it was in a cabin in Colorado with a whole group of people. They had a, a couple condos, actually, and they all gathered together with several families and did activities together and ate together and laughed together and told stories together. And Spencer and Bob both spent some time sitting around the campfire one night talking. And what was really interesting is that both of them came away from that conversation really wondering if the other was actually a Christian. Why? Well, Spencer wondered if Bob could really be a Christian if he really didn't care for the earth. He wasn't a good steward of creation. See, Bob was talking about all of his various machines and his trucks that used a lot of diesel fuel, that used a lot of energy in order to produce the food that he produced. And as Spencer asked questions of Bob, it was clear to him, at least, that Bob was really, in many ways, a a great polluter. And especially since he was using pesticides and various other things in order to grow his crops, Spencer really wondered whether or not Bob followed Jesus in being a farmer. Not only that, but um, Bob felt the same way about Spencer. Because as they were sitting around the campfire, Bob was drinking beer. And not only that, but Spencer was drinking beer that he had brought to the family reunion that he made in his own garage. He brewed his own beer. And not only did he brew his own beer, he invited people into his home in order to share his beer. And his best friend, who was also a brewer, Spencer informed Bob, is gay. And regularly they would sit and they would talk about life. And Bob couldn't believe that Spencer's best friend was gay. How can you be a Christian and not show the power and the truth of God's word to that person? It's interesting, isn't it? Both men, fervent followers of Jesus, daily engaged in the word, actively participating in the body of Christ, and yet because of another's behavior that is different from their own, or an understanding about something that is different from their own, they end up both going away, both going away, wondering whether or not the other is truly a follower of Jesus. What our text is talking about today a little bit. Because it talks about how we often 
pass judgment. And as we dive into the first four verses of chapter 14, we see that the specific topic that Paul starts with is food, and it's more specifically food sacrificed to idols. Now we need to understand something about Roman culture of the time. You had lots of gods in Rome. You have lots of temples that, um, where gods are worshipped. And part of temple worship to various gods was very similar in many ways to the Old Testament worship of Yahweh, the Jewish God, and that is that you had to bring sacrifices to the temple. Sacrifices of meat, animals, you would sometimes bring grain, various things in order to sacrifice, to give that unto the God that you worship so that they might be pleased. And the thing is, is that enough food was brought to these temples that it wasn't consumed, all of it. In fact, the vast majority of it ended up to be, well, in essence, surplus for the temple. And since temples need money in order to continue to operate, what would they do? They would take that surplus food and per put it onto the market. You could go and to the marketplace and you could buy the food that had been sacrificed to an idol, take it into your home, and that could even be something you get a deal on. It's a bargain as opposed to purchasing it for full price if it's not. That's the problem that Paul is addressing. Because you can see the mindset of some. If this food is sacrificed to an idol that is not God, then I want nothing to do with it, right? I don't want to touch it. Because that food is, what's the Old Testament word? Unclean. And so you would have new believers especially who would see that food as unclean and would not be willing to buy it, purchase it, or consume it. And others, and Paul calls them the more mature followers of Jesus, say what Paul says. Nothing is unclean. This food is the Lord's. It always was. He set inside creation animals that would grow and could be consumed and eaten. And this is one of those animals of his creation. Therefore, it is not unclean. It doesn't matter if it was sacrificed to another idol. God has power beyond that God anyway. And I acknowledge it. So they could go out and to the market and purchase that food, bring it into their home, and make it a part of their daily diet. But for others who were less mature, that could be a stumbling block. Because they might look on that person and say, you're making yourself unclean because you're consuming what is unclean. That's what Paul is addressing here. And he's calling it a disputable matter because it is about how one engages with the spirit in this activity. What I mean by that is it's a personal engagement with the spirit. We don't see in God's word in the New Testament that do not consume food sacrificed to idol as idols as a blanket commandment. Instead, we see Paul's teaching here that if food sacrificed to idols is an issue for you, then don't eat it. So it's an if matter. It's about a belief. 
It's about a personal understanding. And thus, since it's a personal understanding and personally we see things differently, it's a disputable matter. So Paul is calling this a disputable matter that really should be engaged with without judgment. A believer might see themselves as a better Christian if they see something disputable in a certain way. And Paul is warning that a disciple serves Christ and not his followers. Do we do this? Do we do this? I've said it before. Churches have lived or died on this thing. That's an organ. Why? Because if you don't use the organ, then you're not really following Jesus. And they've done the same thing with these things and those things. And not even one time with this thing. Even more than that, on other stuff, how we see baptism. How we see communion, how we see, you can fill in a whole lot of blanks that have become disputable matters, according to Paul's definition, within the church that have caused others to judge one another and thus enter into what Paul says at the very end of the text, sin. Because it is a disputable matter. Don't judge. Verses 5 through 8. Verse 5, we hear this. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Sabbath observance. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord. For they give thanks to God and whoever abstains does so to the Lord. And give thanks to God for none of us lives for ourselves alone. None of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to, this, to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life. So that he might be the Lord of both the living and the dead. Sabbath observance. Have we ever had issues with Sabbath observance in the life of the church? I wasn't allowed to be on All-Stars when I was a kid because the first question that my parents would ask a coach when that coach would ask me to be on an All-Star team for hockey or for soccer or for baseball was, do you play on Sunday? And every single All-Star team did. And so the Elgers ones were never on All-Star teams except for my brother who hid that from my parents for three months. Don't ask how it worked, but he pulled it off. Sabbath observance has been one of those things that has been a war ground, battleground in the life of the church. And Paul is saying, hold on. It's not your day to do with it what you will. It's the Lord's day that he might do with it what he will. And so for us to see that, that it's up to our understanding of what God wants from us with his things, what he wants from us with his food, what he wants with us for his days. That's why it says in the text, you should be firmly convinced in your own mind because 
You're pursuing what the Spirit calls for you, calls you to do. The text puts the impetus for obedience not just on one's thoughts, but in their thoughts in relation to God's will for them. You and I can't just think this is right on our own and then say, if someone judges me because of it, then that's a problem. We have to think a thought that is spurred on by the Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit needs us, we can be justified in believing that our thoughts are God's will for us. And then verse 7 and 8 Put it in perspective. A believer who passionately passionately reflects God's glory to the world around them in all they do is on the right track and should not be judged. And that can be challenging sometimes because there are Christians out there who do stuff that we just think are crazy, off track, little wacky. And because of that, we can look at them and say, you're not as good a Christian as I am. Oh, we wouldn't say that. We wouldn't say it. But we might think it. You're not a Christian like I am. So then the question, of course, should become this. Is Christianity relative? Is it based purely upon what one thinks in relationship to God's spirit moving in us? If we hear something from the Lord, then we can be firmly convinced that that's what we should be doing and no one can tell us otherwise. And it becomes a very individual activity. That's what I mean by relative. If you believe it, it's okay for you. If I believe it, it's okay for me. Does anyone have a problem with that? I do. And I think actually God's word does. Even though Paul gives us this text about disputable matters, there are certainly plenty of things that are indisputable. This is a book called Move, and it's a book that we are going through as leadership here in the church. The staff, the council, elders of this church are walking through. And it's a book about discipleship. What it means for a church to think about how to make disciples. This is priming us for our work this fall. Nick is really taking the lead well on this. It's exciting some of the things that we're talking about. And in this book, there are four groups of people on a sort of... Um, uh, growth chart. You're in, when you're starting out in faith, you're in level one, level two, level three, level four. There's names for all of them. But one thing that's key is understanding the transitions between each level. So if you're going to move from one level one to level two, what has to happen to make you a disciple in that way? That's something that we're talking about because those transition points are places where people grow and we want to see more growth. And one of the things that is key to this book is that studying scripture is key for you and I to grow in our walk with God. It certainly seems intuitive, but I'm telling you folks that if you're not studying scripture, you are creating a barrier to your growth. You're wondering why you're not growing in your faith. Maybe you need to spend more time in God's word. And as this book talks about what it means to study God's word, they come up with a series of beliefs, a series of understandings that are key understandings about growing and walking with Jesus. They have eight here. I want you to listen to what these eight are. 
First one is salvation by grace. I believe nothing I do or have can earn my salvation. Number two, the Trinity. I believe the God of the Bible is the only true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Number three is this, personal God. God is personal. I believe God is actively involved in my life. Number four, Christ is first. I desire Jesus to be first in my life. Number five, authority of the Bible. I believe the Bible has decisive authority over what I say and do. Number six, identity in Christ. It says this, I exist to know, love, and serve God. Number seven, giving away my life. I am willing to risk everything that is important in my life for Christ. And number eight is stewardship. I believe a Christian should live a sacrificial life that is not driven by the pursuit of material things. Now, the folks who wrote this book came up with these understandings through a whole series of data research and polls and different things that they did in over 10,000 churches in North America. And they found that if someone is actively engaged in learning more about these eight things, salvation by grace, the Trinity, personal God, Christ is first, authority of the Bible, identity in Christ, giving away my life and stewardship, that they will grow, take next steps in their walk with Jesus. That's not relative. That's not if it's good for you, it's good for you. If it's good for me, it's good for me. These are basic truths. And I got to tell you, if you come to me and say, I am actively pursuing learning and growing in all of those eight things, I'm going to feel pretty comfortable with where you're walking with Jesus. Because you're hitting the majors. I like thinking rightly about the Trinity. I like thinking rightly about grace. I like thinking rightly about all this other stuff. And then whether or not we play the organ or the drums doesn't matter. Why? Because you got the main things. Got the main things, the main things. And when that happens, you and I grow. What Paul is saying here is those peripherals that we can judge others on. Those things that are outside of the main things. And if we get off track on the main things, then certainly we have a conversation. Certainly we seek to admonish, encourage, pray for, discipline one another, but not on the disputable stuff. Verses 9 through 12. Paul is clear here in these verses. Judgment of life is God's and his alone. He's the only one who can do it right. We don't serve God well when we try to take his place and make judgment a primary activity of life. And the challenge is, is I know I have known those folks and I've done it myself. I've made it a primary activity. Look around with sort of Jesus' eyes and say, you're not doing it right. You're not on track. That's not my work. It's God's work. And we know, and it's affirmed in the text here, that God will do it. And when he does it, he's going to do it right. Now verse 13 through 18. This is an interesting section purely because verse 13 says this. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. 
which is interesting because the rest of the text is how we deal with people who pass judgment on one another. Interesting how that works. But that is a challenge. Why? Because you have mature Christians and not so mature Christians. And mature Christians have to be ready to handle those people who might pass judgment on them. And so if you're not judging others, good job. You're growing in faith. You're more of a mature Christian. If you're judging others, then maybe you need to wonder whether or not maturity is an issue for you. If you're sitting back, oh, that person is like that, huh? I wonder if pastor's going to talk to them about that. If you're wondering that sort of thing, then grow up. Grow up. Because that's not your and my job. He's calling mature believers to serve less mature believers by making access to Christ easier. Don't become a stumbling block to one another. Being love to another. Show love. And we certainly know we have a lot of young Christians here in the church. We have a lot of people who are trying to figure it out. And there are some times when you're figuring it out when you're not going to do it right. Do we drop the hammer of judgment upon them? Or do we bring the arm of love around them? And the challenge that Paul is calling us to, to bring the arm of love. Verses 17 and 18 give us some clarity here. It says this, Kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. You are, a f- you are a more mature follower of Jesus Christ when people can say about you and I, they seek to be at peace with me. They seek to be caring, loving, supporting, accepting of me, not judging of me. And I gotta be honest here. This is a hard one for me personally. And let me tell you why. Because I know what I know. I know what I believe. And I believe it strongly. I believe having a beer is okay for a pastor to do. I believe that a pastor who has a son and a daughter who play sports on Sunday honors God because we see God glorified on the soccer field. But here's the thing, I'm a pastor and there are people who look at me and say he should be holier than that. And sometimes it can make me crazy. Kristen and I have had plenty of conversations about that. She will tell me, no, you need to look good on Sunday because people are looking at you and they wonder if you really care about what you're doing if your hair isn't combed a little bit. And you know, I mean, I would much rather do this, folks, just to be clear. Come into the office any day of the week, that's who you're gonna see. I would much rather be here in jeans and flip-flops. It's what I wear to work every day. But I know that that can be a stumbling block. And I don't wanna be that stumbling block. It makes me crazy sometimes. It makes me nuts, but I don't want to be a stumbling block. And for all of us, this is for Kristen's sake, um, but for all of us to wonder about the ways that we can become a stumbling block to another's 
faith? Where is it that you are a stumbling block? Where is it that you are forcing people to wonder about who Jesus really is because of your behavior? And then for us to reflect on that and wonder, how do I make God easier to see in my life? Now, verses 19 through 21. In 19 through 21, we could replace the word food in verse 20 with a lot of things. It says this, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of the organ. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of the drums. Do not destroy the work of the God of, of God for the sake of your beer, your wine. Do not destroy the work of God for something that is disputable as much as you are able. Make it easy for people to see Jesus in you. And the problem again is that our here is that oftentimes we do these things not because we are convinced that they are right, as Paul says, but because we're stubborn and we're selfish and we want to do them, so we're going to do them, doggone it. That's dangerous. Because that's not truly what the kingdom of God should look like. Verse 22 and 23 finishes it up. And this last phrase that we have here is key. What does it say there? It says, uh, but whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith. And everything does not, that does not come from faith is sin. Oh, that's an indictment, isn't it? Everything that you and I do in our day that does not come from faith is sin. So it's not just about going out and lying but if you and I go out and speak without faith, that's sin. Oh. It's not just about going out and not stealing. It is about treating every item that you own or everything that you have in faith that this is the Lord's and he calls you to serve him with it. That's a little harder, isn't it? Paul is saying that as we live into doing everything in faith, God will be glorified. There won't be any dispute. Why? Because God's going to come in and through his spirit, mark up every part of us so that others can see him in us and not our own selfishness. So what are some next steps that we can take? Well, first of all, the easy one, be less judgmental. It doesn't suit you. It's not your job. You can't do it well. I don't care how good you think you are at it. You can't. doesn't matter how good I think I can look into someone's life, engage their Christianity. Oh, they're a gold star Christian and not a silver star Christian. I can't pull that off. Why? Because it's God's job. And be more loving. Why? Because that's our, that is what you were made for. That's who you are, to be more loving, to be more at peace, to be more accepting. Third thing is, be willing to give up your own stubbornness and selfishness for another. It's what Christ did for us. Christ gave up himself for us. He calls us to walk into that model of living that out in the world around us. And finally, 
Live faithfully for God's glory in all you do. Everything. You drive home today, do so in faith. Because I'm on the road with you too and you never know what can happen. Do so this afternoon. As you sit, as you nap, as you rest, as you, whatever it is that you do, do so in faith. Why? Because if it is not done in faith, what is it? That's it. If we do this, it's gratitude for Christ's amazing grace. And the fringe benefit, of course, is that it keeps us from sin. People of the river, I I do want to say to you, I think that we've made great strides in this teaching, this learning, this place. Why? Because we've had to learn how to do it a lot over the last number of years. We've had people come in to this community. We've had people who have been in this community for a long time who've had their own brokenness and stuff that we've had to be less judgmental about. But the work is not over. And here's a gauge that I have for you. Here it is. If you are with your spouse or you go out to dinner with some friends or you're sitting and talking with somebody and you say something like this, Did you hear about? Generally, that's not a good phrase to start with if you're not going to be a judger of others. Did you hear about? If you are talking about what something is wearing, what something is doing, the actions in their life, and you shake your head and it's in a negative sense, folks, that's a place for you and I to grow. And let's instead not make it a prayer request, did you hear about, oh, I'm telling you just so you can pray for them, which is a big fat lie. You're just gossiping and justifying it. But if you instead want to say, you know what? God is doing something in their life. Why? How do you know that? Because if someone is broken, they're exactly in the place where God can do work, right? So if someone has something that's a mess and broken and challenging, then that is a place where God can show up and redeem. Why? Because that's who he is. He's the God of grace who comes and changes broken people. God is doing something in their life. You can pray that God does more. Would you pray with me? Father, continue that work in us. We need it. We need that work of being broken to our own stubbornness, our own perspective, that what we think is right on disputable matters. Instead, Father, may we listen to your spirit more. May, May we be encouraged to engage in your word more so that we know truly what is right and then live into it. That we don't demand others do what it is that we do, that we simply trust that your Holy Spirit will work in their life in a powerful way to bring them the truth, to bring them the hope, the love, and what they need in order to grow. Father, do that work in us and let us pray. Let us not judge. Let us pray that you do that work in others too. And may our way of engaging here in this body of Christ at the river be one of acceptance, one of love, one of grace, A place, Lord, that is comfortable for people to be who you are making them to be. Not just who they are, but who you are making them to be. And we trust, Lord, that you're continuing that work in them just as you're continuing it in us. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.